On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls, friends, and fam. Like a few directors we have now covered on the podcast, Panos Cosmatos grew up in an artistic household. His father was filmmaker George P. Cosmatos, and his mother was Swedish sculptor Birgitta Youngberg Cosmatos. After losing his mother in 1997 and his father in 2006, he created both his feature directorial debut, Beyond the Black Rainbow, and his second film, Mandy, that explored his grief. At its core, Mandy is a love story in his first act, and a revenge film in his second act. Mandy, which of course is our movie of the week, would premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in 2018, achieving critical acclaim upon its initial release with wide praise for its cinematography, its score by the late and great Icelandic composer Johan Johansson, and of course, a central performance by Nicolas Cage that was inspired by his own heartbreak. Mandy is currently streaming on both Shudder and Tubi, so think twice before ripping people's favorite shirts. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. by daylight nice um which is one of my favorite current video games to play and he has a lot of really funny things he says he's like mr killer man i'm gonna get back up and like you get on he's like man this place is really weird or he just goes like eerie and it's, it's great it's really funny it makes the whole thing fun he also has a perk where you can pretend that you're dying in the dying state and then you can heal yourself so the killer can come right to you and you can get up and run away. Oh, nice. It's very fun. Um, he also has a perk where he just sees the killer and screams for no reason. Oh. To let you know that the killer's nearby. <laughs> that is hilarious. It's really funny. It's, it's all for memes, but he's a big fan of the game and he is the first, like, actor to be a part of it. And he's playing himself. Yeah. It's, it's fucking hilarious. I love it. But... I was like, that would be perfect timing, because Mandy is one of those movies where I feel like it's kind of summery, because it feels like it's a hot summer yeah. day, but it's also in the Pacific Northwest, so it's very cloudy. Yeah. But, like, 
I was like, oh, they're in the woods. A lot of people go camping in the summer. I went I went to camp a lot in the summer. So maybe for me, I was just like, yeah, that's a summer movie. And um, I watched it. It was on Shudder because Shudder ended up acquiring it. And so that's why it's been on Shudder the last, I think, since it got released on VOD has been on Shudder consistently. And I watched it kind of on a whim sometime in 2019 or 2020. And I remember watching it. And then I tried to get someone else to watch it in my household and they had to go we're like oh i'm sleepy i gotta go and i was like you're not gonna finish mandy what the fuck so then i ended up watching it a second time and i loved it even more the second time and then this is probably my fourth time watching it and i didn't expect to love it as much as i love it yeah i i really wasn't sure if i was gonna be okay with the nick cage movie because up until this point, you know, he won an Oscar very... Won, yeah. Yeah, he won, yeah, an he won Oscar for like in Las Vegas, yeah. And he was also in Moonstruck oh, which with is such Cher. A good movie. And he did... I remember The Weatherman. Oh, well, Mom loved Valley Girl when I was and like, Valley, I have Valley yeah. Girl. It's my, Thank you, Elizabeth. If Elizabeth's listening to it, my friend Elizabeth got me to watch Valley Girl, which is which is a Criterion movie, by the way. Which is baffling I will to me. never forget when I was a child that, like, uh, my mom and my dad got into an argument because he's like, you're watching Valley Girl with her? There's tits in that movie because I was, like, five. And mom's like, she watched Pulp Fiction with you last week. <laughs> so it's, like, it's very interesting what my, like, dad... I dad think there are less tits in Pulp Fiction, but there's more stabbing. Violence or people getting shot in And the also head. people getting, like, literally raped. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know because I had a co-worker. I told him I watched Pulp Fiction at five. And he's like, did you know what was going on with Mar- Mar- Marcellus Wallace? I was like, I had no idea. No. Like, I had no idea what was happening in that scene. I thought he was hurting him, but I didn't understand the implications oh, of okay. it at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, it'll just go over your head like the Barbie movie and the 12-year-olds behind us. Oh, there's like six and seven-year-olds at the Barbie yeah. movie. Like They seem to like it, though. It's but if you're gonna take your, we'll talk about it next week. But like if you're gonna take your kids to the Barbie movie, I've had several people ask about kids. I'm like, there's lots of double entendre, but no nudity and no sex. But- I had to tell I had to tell a family member that too because she asked me if she could take her if she should take her nine year old. I said, well, your nine year old saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Volume Three, so, so yes. I think she would be fine. Yeah, uh, I did tell her like I said, there's like a bleep motherfucker, and there's like a few other things that are a little adultish, but nothing overwhelmingly. No, I would think that there's a no child nudity. Could there's no, and it's a really. Beautiful movie. I wish it's I could really have seen sweet. it with my mom. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I felt kind of bad then. I was like, I guess I didn't know. You it's a very mother mom daughter, a second time. daughter one. It's literally, I don't know if she'll want to go see the Barbie movie, but if she wants to go see it, I'll see it a second I time. I won't spoil it in context for people because we'll talk about it next week, which is you guys a whole other week to see it. But you know that there's the monologue. Of course, Katie will know what I'm referencing at the beginning when she's like, "You're so smart and you're so beautiful, mm-hmm. and I wish you could see that." I mean, I've heard those literal words come mm-hmm. out my mom's mouth. And it's I, very sweet. I think that's like one of the moments I teared up too. So I cried a lot in the yeah. Barbie movie. I did not. I think a lot to. of people did. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, you were sitting next to me. I was yeah. like, oh, Brittany's crying too. I don't feel as yeah. bad. <laughs> and then we look over at Erica's crying too. Like, and I'm pretty sure I was looking at the back of Sam's head, but I'm pretty sure Sam was crying too. Yeah, so, I didn't, yeah. it's sweet crying. It's not sad crying. This yeah. wasn't a past lives or oh, God. the end of the I'm um, the worst person in the world. Oh, past lives is so bittersweet. But yeah. I, I won't spoil that for you, but oh, so but, good. It's yeah. been a good year for movies already. It has been. Barbie's the biggest opener of the year. And so the far. biggest for a female director. Biggest Ever. opening weekend. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Cool. So, and biggest based on a toy. 
yeah. company. My friend Sarah pointed that out. Ooh. And I was like, oh. And the biggest that's not a sequel Marvel movie or something else. A sequel, a Marvel movie, or a Disney? remake. A remake. remake. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's the biggest, like, original film. That's awesome. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's... Those girls are busting the glass ceiling. And those kids. Yeah. And those kids, too. So... I did... Well, we'll talk about it more next yeah. week. But yes. So, uh, what was I saying? So, much like Barbie, mm-hmm. Mandy ended up touching my heart. Because it is a love story. And um, so up at, so Valley Girl, so up until this point, Nick Cage, you know, he had a really good start to his career. He is a Coppola, but he uh, changed his last name so that he could make his own career, and he was very successful. And then he got into some financial problems. I think we all know he didn't pay his taxes, oh, or he owes a bunch of taxes. There's some some kind of tax thing. So basically, he kind of has to say yes to almost every project that he's approached on. Surely for the money fact, at least for the late 90s and the mid-2000s up until maybe it's done this time. Which explains, like, like, the remake of Wicker Man. Yes. So that's, like, Wicker Man, I think, was the beginning of that. But, like, he's done all these straight-to-VOD movies that are just not great. Yeah. And his... And he's not great because it, I don't think they're passion projects of his. But he he does do them, and he it's, it seems like he's putting effort into them. But he's one of those people that, with a great director, he's fantastic. But if you don't have somebody who knows how to work with him properly, it's like he it's like unleashing the beast, and he's just like all over the place. Robin Williams was kind of like that too. Yeah, like I think I think though Nicholas Cage is a little more professional because. In the behind the scenes, he asks uh, Panos Cosmatos a bunch of times, like, can I do this? Is this okay with you? And, like, whereas Robin Williams literally would just go off on a tangent. You just have to keep the cameras rolling until he was done. Well, fun fact, I'm sure you read this, too, that there's, like, supposedly, like, a PG, PG PG-13 and R-rated cut of Mrs. Doubtfire because Robin Williams improvised. I just have to say, I would do just problems, about anything but... to see that R-rated cut in, like, a movie theater that sold alcohol. Like, I would just, like, that would drink cocktails awesome. and watch R-rated Mrs. Doubtfire. That would be very funny. But, yeah, so so we had a, a big length of just doing movies just to pay the bills, contractually, whatever, which I can't blame him for. But everyone kind of thought his career was over. They're just like, oh, he's just doing crappy movies. And, again, I'm a, I'm a Nick Cage stan, so, like, Please, if you're listening to this, Nick Cage, I understand. Because then he got Mandy. Yeah. And he had just gone through. His parents had died a few years before, and he was still grieving on that. And then his third marriage ended. And he had a, and he didn't see it coming. And he also had an injury to his leg. And he was, like, in a wheelchair Ooh. for a little while. Just healing. Like, not wheelchair-bound. And then a cane right up until filming for this movie. Yeah. And this movie... He claims, he, he did an interview with, uh, Kevin Smith was hosting a viewing of it, and Panos, Nick Cage, and Linus Roche, who plays Jeremiah Sand, all uh, were there. And he was like, I do attribute this to kind of, like, rehabilitating me because I was able to put my grief somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, work through it. And I also, like, had to get back into shape. Because I couldn't do these stunts in a wheelchair. And so it got me out of the wheelchair and helped me, like, rehabilitate mentally and physically. And so I think we've seen since then he's gotten to be more selective of parts. I don't know if financially maybe he's in a better spot so he can be. 
but he's also like got to do Pig. Yeah. Which up until Pig came out, this was like, in my opinion, his best work acting wise. But like Pig is like Pig's his favorite movie he's ever done. I love. He Pig. recently said in an interview, Pig was one of those movies I was very curious about, and then when we did it, I didn't imagine that I would love it as much as I did. Yeah, it very like deeply affected me watching that movie. It did, but I definitely thought Pig was going to be like Mandy. Yeah, and then when it was totally different, but like we wouldn't have Pig without Mandy. Yeah, because he wouldn't have been in the same place, and I think that's cool. And the same thing happened with Panos Cosmodos is because his parents, so his dad was a director who directed a lot like of... Like Rambo 2. Rambo 2. And Tombstone was his and biggest. And Tombstone. Yeah. And so he actually used the uh, royalties from Tombstone mm-hmm. to fund Beyond the Black Rainbow. And Beyond the Black Rainbow, I have not gotten to see it yet. It is on my list, but it keeps switching uh, streaming services. Every time I want to watch it, I'm like, oh, shit. It's not there, but it is It is about a woman who's stuck in a facility and trying to escape, and it's very depressing and trippy, and that was, like, processing his grief of his parents dying, and this movie also helped with that, but it's kind of the antidote to that movie. Yeah. Which is interesting, and so he wrote both of these at the same time, and he did be on the Black Rainbow to kind of process that grief, and then uh, Elijah Wood and Noah... Daniel Noah, sorry, who are two of the owners of Spectre Vision, they saw Beyond the Black Rainbow and said, we will produce whatever you do next. Yeah. We just want to be involved. It's such a beautiful thing. Because if you didn't know, Legend was a huge horror fan. Yeah. And Spectre Vision has done a lot of, they've done movies we've covered. They did, I know A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and I feel like... Uh, the matinee one too. I feel like oh, they oh did. the last matinee. I think they did. There was a couple ones, but now the last matinee was an international film. But did they yeah. did they do the American distribution of it? I should or how look. does that work? But he's actually the one who got Nick Cage to do this movie because he he and Panos thought he said Panos, what about Nick Cage for Jeremiah Sand, the cult leader? Yeah, and Panos rewrote the script. To make Jeremiah sound more like Nick Cage, which he never rechanged it. So that yeah. is what it, he would have been saying. And then Nick Cage got the script and was like, but I really like Red. Yeah. And Pandos said no at first. He was like, no, sorry, that doesn't work. I saw you as Jeremiah. And apparently he had a dream. Yeah, I read that. Where he was watching Mandy in theaters and Nick Cage was Red and it was so good that he called the producer. He was like, oh, can we get him back? Because I made a mistake. Yeah. And it worked out. It did. It really did. I don't know. It's one of those movies that it has gotten a lot of attention, and rightly so. And he is working on another movie, but I don't think it's supposed to come out for another couple of years at least. So his next movie, he just did an episode of Cabinet of Curiosities, too. I didn't write it down. But there was another movie that's in production right now for him. So I'm hoping that that will work. Oh, Color Out of Space. That was the other one I was thinking of. But they also, so Spectre Vision did Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, The Boy. The Boy. Which we haven't done yet, but we've talked about. Daniel Isn't Real, which is on my list and I have not watched yet. Color Out of Space, which also has Nick Cage in it. And they also have did the Ubisoft video game Transference, which I haven't played yet. But I see them connected to a lot of things. I don't know why I thought they were doing The Last Matinee, but... Obviously, I was wrong. It's so. okay. Maybe it's I'm something glad I similar to Spectre it. Vision. 
Maybe. Yeah. This was, this is a weird movie, though. I don't know if there's anything quite like it. Yeah. I. You know, I forgot to write it down. They said there was movies it was very similar to, but they were actually all directors I wasn't very familiar with because it was one of those articles I stumbled across, and I was like, and now I may need to do that as our... I just completely blank when we fact check ourselves in the next episodes. What do we call it? Housekeeping. Thank you, housekeeping. I may have to go back in housekeeping and find that. Because it's very interesting when you come across films you've never heard of. And then I'm like, damn it, Brittany, why didn't you write it down? But that being said, I have never seen anything like this. It kind of reminds me of like the posters in Spencer's. They're like very psychedelic looking. Hanno said that his main inspirations were Fangoria, which is still around, by the way. Oh, they have yeah. a great Instagram account. Uh, heavy metal magazines. Also, this reminds me a lot of the movie Heavy Metal, the cart, the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen yeah. it, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but it does remind me of this movie. Um, the style. There's not two. There's penises, but not as many boobies. Well, it's, I think it's also those animated sequences that are sprinkled throughout. Yes. Andy. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, that's nice. I always forget about the animated sequences mm-hmm. until I'm like, I'm watching. It, I'm like, oh, I forgot about this. This is cool. But, and posters for horror movies he wasn't allowed to watch. But he also said he watched Evil Dead in, in After Hours back to back. And that's what made him want to become a director. Oh. Because it was the stylistic mechanics of the camera that realized, like, you could really have a voice through the camera. And I was like, oh, interesting. And he also used to watch The Road Warrior over and over again. Nice. And I was like, that is very, very interesting. This movie, last time I checked on Rotten Tomatoes, is a 90% with an audience score of 67%. Yeah. Which is kind of weird, because I don't know anyone who doesn't like Mandy, but maybe I only bring up Mandy to horror people. Well, also, I think it's like, when we think of critical score versus audience score, the audience score is usually the average person. And this this is a slow burn. <laughs> this is a slow burn during the first hour. But it is a slow burn at the beginning. Yeah. But when it gets going, baby, it takes you on a fucking ride, and it does not stop. Um. So I did So I did take this from this RogerEbert.com interview that uh, Panos did. But he said him and co-writer Aaron Stewart on were both interested in the male ego and what a nightmarish poisonous mushroom that can be. And I do think that is something uh, we really see come to life in the second act of the film. Oh, which is really yeah. He told Jeremiah Sands actor Linus Roche that he is described. He described him as the personification of the horrors of the male ego. And he, like, someone who believes they're the Messiah or a savior and everything and everyone belongs to them, but they're just a privileged narcissist. Yeah. And I definitely got, like, Manson. Enlightened narcissist. I'm sorry. I definitely got Manson vibes from him. Oh. As soon as he starts playing his own music to her, I was like, is this a Manson? This is a Manson. Manson and, like, the, like, guys who are just like, I am your gift. And you're like, you're not. Actually, I'm, there's probably whim, women who are like that, too. Oh, yeah. I just get it from men. So that's, <laughs> like, why I'm going to say that. And we should mention, too, and I mean, this is not a spoiler, but it's set in an alternative version of 1983. Yes. So that should set the vibe for you that this is nothing, like, the way they dress, the music they're listening to, nothing is, like, screaming modern. The movie came out in 2018, but this world is 1983, but it's just slightly different because it's an alternative 1983. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is definitely a look at the frail male ego and the 80s especially. Because you look at, like, what his dad did for movies like Rambo Part Two, Tombstone. I have not seen Leviathan, but everything else mm-hmm. looks very, like... 
80s, like, manly movie, well, like, like yeah. dudes, muscles. Well, it's like, I know my father loves Tombstone, and it's been years. I remember scenes from it, but it's been years since yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I haven't it. seen it in a really long time. But my it was grandpa like, watched it. It's like early 90s, and I feel like they're very different looking. Like, I feel like Tombstone looks like nothing like Rambo 2, because I think Tombstone was like a huge, like, critically acclaimed film. Like, I mean, as in, it's a like, Western. it had a lot of accolades, too. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's about Wyatt Earp. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it had a bunch of big actors. And I I don't know if you read this about his father, but supposedly his father was also really, really good that if a project was failing, they could bring him in and he can kind of turn things around really quickly, too. He was a tweaker. He mm-hmm. was a fixer. Yeah. And that constantly like a chain smoker. Drugs. I was going to say, that sounds like he did drugs. But if he was a smoker, too, I guess he was a, he was yeah. a fixer. Because I think he's so... I think it's sad because I think he's a constant chain smoker. And, like, every picture you see of him, he has, like, a cigarette or cigar in his mouth. And he actually passed away from lung cancer. I wonder is, if... If yeah. that's why Red and Mandy smoke so much in this movie. Maybe. And, and I wonder if Panos is a smoker, too. Maybe. But it also was a lot more common. It was the 80s. 80s. Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, I loved, <laughs> you know, when you're watching something on Shudder and different streaming services, it'll have, like, the rating will come up throughout the movie. And the rating came up, and it was, like, rated R for uh, s- violence, nudity. Oh, no, it was nudity something smoking and violence and we were like so the smoking is more important than the violence i guess okay it was just very funny interesting enough because you brought nudity we see nudity female nudity animated sequences but it's the only male nudity in live action right yes and that was the actor's choice to do it it was in the script but he said if you want me to do it i'll do it because it's right for this part because uh, it is one of the best scenes in the movie because it's fucking hilarious. So uh, I don't know. I guess we'll, I guess we'll go ahead and get into the characters just so we can kind of like talk about that. So as we said, Nick Cage plays Red Miller. Is so both Mandy and Red have he said like damaged pasts. Yeah. There is a deleted scene. You can find it on YouTube. It was part of, like, the DVD extras where he goes to the gas station that Mandy works at with Mandy before everything happens in the movie. And he sees the sheriff. And the sheriff treats him very badly and says some really shitty things about Mandy. And he almost loses his temper and hits the sheriff. And then he doesn't because he controls himself and then Mandy comes out and she's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, nothing, because he doesn't want to, like, make her feel bad for what he said about Mandy. But basically, like, he calls Mandy horny, insinuates that Red maybe is a, like, maybe he serves some time or maybe he's had some anger management issues, but it seems like Mandy and Red have a very healthy, loving relationship and they both have very damaged pasts and their relationship is very honest, loving, just, like, tender yeah. But not gross. Like, they, they tell each other, like, stupid knock-knock jokes and stuff. And it's it's cute. Which is an interesting side to Nick Cage because usually we don't get a softer side to him until probably Pig. Yeah. Now, so. I do. It's interesting because two of my favorite Nick Cage roles is actually Big Daddy and Kick-Ass. Uh, and just oh, in Kick Ass, yes. yeah, and then watching him play the father figure to Mindy Hit Girl is amazing. But also Spider Noir and Spider Man into the Spider Verse, so like it's very interesting the roles he picks. But yeah, yes. Pig is definitely like, I mean, Pig is a masterclass in acting. I think. Yes. So, but this is like the first time in a long time I really saw him be like tender and mm-hmm. sweet, 
and loving. I love his voice, too. Like, his voice when he's around Mandy. Yeah, because he has a pretty deep voice, and Mm -hmm. it's kind of, like, gravelly, but it's like a comforting rumble. Yeah, exactly. Like, when you first hear him talk, I was like, ooh, okay. Yes. And um, if you don't know who Nick Cage is, even though we already talked about him, uh, he was in Pig that we released, uh, I think, a year, year and a half ago. I think it was either the the beginning of this year or the beginning of last year. Renfield, recently, he plays Dracula. I still need to watch Renfield. It's streaming, so I can finally watch it. He was just in Willy's Wonderland, which he doesn't really talk in at all, but a lot of people have seen that one. Uh, Color Out of Space was a recent horror movie he did. Kind of a similar vibe to this movie, but a different director. The Wicker Man, where he screams about the bees. Lord of War, which Scott kept mentioning that movie to me, and I haven't seen it yet, but I looked up, and it was, like, kind of before he started doing a bunch of VOD movies, so it was one of his, like, late 2000s or early 2000s, and then National Treasure. Well, also, a big movie when we were kids, Gone in 60 Seconds, was a huge Oh, and Face Off. Yeah, Face Off was a big one. Face Off! That's my Nick Cage impersonation. Yes. And I'm trying to think. And, of course, like we said, he did win uh, Academy Award for his performance as ben, ben Sanderson leaving Las Vegas. And then most recently, he is also with Pedro Pascal in The Unbearable Way to Massachusetts. Yes, which bombed. It did bomb. So did Renfield, apparently. But, like, I think people will watch Renfield a lot on streaming. Yeah. I think and I, I think, think Renfield streaming. should have been released in October make too much sense. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. like, not that horror only has to be in October, but it was, like, about Dracula. And it was, like, a horror comedy. I People mean, would have seen it. I mean, Haunted Mansion also got released recently. It's uh, right, right. Right like, now. Yeah, it's right now. I, I was mean, like, why in July? Just wait until October. It's, like, September, October. Because you, know, you can Maybe the market to is too competitive in October. Or they're trying to get everything out before the strike. Oh, are so also people will still promote it. Maybe Halloween costumes being ready too. If oh, guys want to dress up, maybe they'll come to streaming. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's a whole thing. But yes, we. I guess we should mention Mandy. Mandy is is very present in the beginning of the film, and then isn't as present for the rest. But we've already seen Mandy's actress, Mandy Bloom. Yeah, uh, Andrea Risenborough. We she was in Birdman. Yes, and she was. We did Birdman. At Jonathan's request. Hi, Jonathan, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, oh, first season. Yeah. Like, before I even started doing artwork for the episodes. So, of course, she was at the height of the controversy for this year's Academy yes. Award for a performance as Leslie and to Leslie. Yes. Because there's a, if you guys have been following, there was a grassroots campaign that got her yes. nominated for Best Actress. And, and people were mad because nobody paid for it. Yeah, because it wasn't big studios backing her. It was literally other actors and actresses saying, no, yeah. she's that good. And she's been very consistently present in a lot of films. Some of these I didn't even realize she was in. She was most recently horror-wise in Possessor, which is Brandon Cronenberg's other movie, yeah. which we just did Infinity Pool last one of his other movies, Infinity Pool, last week. Um, Nocturnal Animals. No. Nancy, which is a movie that oh, I almost suggested, but it's about a woman who was a news anchor, and she actually did uh, take her own life on camera. Yes, I remember that. And they're, because she was on camera, like, you can look up the footage. I think it's kind of morbid, too, but it's basically the lead-up to what caused her. She had, like horrible depression it was like in the 70s or 80s before mental health care was really widely available or suggested there's been a few news anchors that have done that yeah and she just like 
it's it's sad because like if any other circumstances that wouldn't have happened and it's just a very sad event but it it's apparently like she's really good in it um and also she was in the remake of the grudge which i tried to watch and couldn't well it's been years <sighs> since i've watched this movie even though i loved it she's also never let me go which was the movie that um oh oh my god why did i just blank on promising young women um michelle that she's Daisy in The Great Gatsby too. Michelle Williams? Michelle Williams. Yeah, Michelle Williams and Andrew Garfield and Keira Knightley are all Never Let Me oh, Go. Okay. It's a sci-fi film, but it's beautiful. But I, I was like, I didn't remember in that. I think she's one of those actresses. Andrea Risenborough is one of those actresses. She's, like, beautiful, but she's very normal looking. So She has range in her looks. Yeah. Because, like, she looks completely different in Possessor and Birdman and this film. Yeah. She has, like, no eyebrows in this movie. Yeah. Which is kind of freaky, but, like, it fits. Because, like, she's she doesn't really, like, she's not a makeup girl. She likes, like, Black Sabbath and wears, like, band tees all the time. She likes to draw. She's very introspective. Damn it, not Michelle Williams, Carrie Mulligan. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. They yeah. kind of have the same haircut, They really though. do look similar. They have similar. a similar vibe. Sorry, I was saying there, it's like, I do this thing. I know, I was Katie like... will be talking, and then I'm like, I'm listening to every word she says, and then something dings Oh, it happens to me, too. Yeah. It's ADHD brain. Yes. Yeah. But Carrie Mulligan never let me go. Anyway, but yes, yes. Andrea Risenborough, I agree with that. Like, she has a... You're, you're right. She almost looks different in film to film. Yeah, it's so... And it's interesting because she's very, she runs the gamut of like traditionally masculine and feminine looks because I feel like her character possessor is very, I don't want to say, not asexual, but uh, androgynous. Oh, androgynous. Androgynous of a look because she really like, you know, she's losing herself, her sense of self. Yeah. At least the half of it that I've seen. And so she's very like. Where, like, I don't know, she's just, like, not really trying to be either feminine or masculine. But I wouldn't say it's the gender identity, I guess. But it's interesting. But then, like, Birdman, she's an actress, and she's, like, a a Broadway actress, and she's all made up for the stage. And so she looks fucking gorgeous. And then this movie was the... I saw Mandy before I saw Birdman. So, like, I was like, that's the same girl? Oh, my God. She looks totally different. Yeah. Um, But in Mandy especially, she looks very much just like someone you would see. Like, she's interesting looking. She has really, like, big eyes that really capture your attention. And her eyes are almost, like, different sizes because I didn't realize it until there's, like, the fire scene in the beginning of the movie after they're on the lake, but it zeroes in on her face, and you can see her eyes are, like, different sizes. Yeah, I also love the part where, like, her and Jeremiah's faces are edited together. Yeah, yeah, Back and forth. The first time I saw that, I was like... (gasps) It's very trippy. Oh, that is very trippy. But she's... A very accomplished actress and someone you see a lot. Um, I also didn't realize how much uh, Linus Roche, who plays Jeremiah Sand, the Manson Lake cult leader, described as the, you know, personification of the horrors of the male ego. Yeah. Um, he is the leader of the children of... Oh, shit. I wrote it down. Something white? Children of... I wrote it down. Oh, the new dawn. Of the new dawn. The children of the new dawn. 
Um, so basically a Manson guy. Um, he was in Batman Begins, The Chronicles of Riddick, which they kind of made fun of him for being in. Yeah. At one of the, it was there at Con or was that the Kevin Smith one? He was like, yeah, this movie's so trippy. I've never been anything like it. And they were like, you were in The Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> and he was like, that's true. Yeah. A movie called Nonstop Homeland. He was in a lot of episodes of Homeland, apparently. But also, there's a movie that's been on my list that just popped up. It's from last year called The Apology. And it's the it keeps popping up on, I feel like, my Amazon Prime. And it's like this woman, or maybe Hulu, this woman who is a recovering alcoholic, um, her child disappeared when she, uh, 10 years back yeah and it's like the anniversary and it's like christmas eve and her brother-in-law show or former brother-in-law shows up to apologize for something to do with the child disappearing and i don't know if he's the brother-in-law or like the ex-husband but he's in that movie too yeah I did also see where he was in 33 episodes of Vikings, the TV series. Oh. And 63 episodes of Law and Order as executive ADA Michael Cutter. So I was like, okay. Hey, and he's like British, so that's a lot of having a New York accent. Oh, yeah, right? Very interesting. He's a very interesting voice in this. Yeah. Jeremiah, it, like, runs the gamut of enlightened narcissist and then he's like scared little sad boy like oh someone do things like no he doesn't do anything himself he wants everyone to do things for him but that's kind of how charles manson really was yeah yeah because he didn't lift a fucking finger to kill people but he sure did have people kill people for him yeah also i thought this was funny panos said right after either was either after filming finished or after like writing finished was when Donald Trump got elected. And he was like, you know, I was thinking about it, and I was like, this Jeremiah is like if you took Donald Trump and Mike Pence and just smushed them into one person, it'd be like the Mm. worst thing ever. I was like, that's kind of hilarious. (laughs) But I get it, because Trump's like this person who's, he's a fucking narcissist, and he's like, grab him by the pussy. I get whatever I want. But then, like, you know, he's getting indicted for things that are clearly illegal, and he's like... They're targeting me. Eh, eh, wham, wham. Big old fucking baby. And Mike Pence is like, I can't be alone in a room with a woman. Oh, God. Oh, I can't be trusted. But you should trust me with your uterus laws. Fucking cunt. Anyways. I know. I know. Rapid fire going through the people left. We won't say everybody, but there are some pretty interesting characters. This next guy. I think it's Ned Dennehy. I think you're right. I think as Brother Swan. And so it was interesting because I was like, why did I recognize his face? So right. he's uh, Lionel Brown in Outlander. So um, mm. so he's an antagonist. And I'm trying to think. So this was in last, it was, so it was season five because we're on season seven now. He is an antagonist in one of the more controversial plot lines of the original novel and the show. So hmm. he kidnaps Claire and she is sexually assaulted by multiple men. And they decided to air this episode on Mother's Day. Uh, So, yeah, that is one of the biggest controversies that probably has happened since Outlander began. So, sorry, guys, I spoiled that for you, but you may forget it. No, I've heard about that already because I haven't gotten to that season yet. And I'm like... He, I mean, he plays a very convincing villain. And, I mean, he is downright evil in that Outlander Well, he's pretty, like, quiet. Mm -hmm. And then he, like, starts calling Mandy a whore. And it's like, she burned bright because she's a whore. And he says all these really shitty things. And it's just like, 
Okay. Ooh, that was a little minor spoiler, but we'll just see. Yeah. A minor spoiler. Um, but it's a revenge movie, so you should know what you're getting into. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like I don't know how it got spoiled to me, but I did know Man what happened. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know how it happened, but I just knew it happened. Yeah. So yeah, um, we also have Olwen. I think her name is Foer, as Mother Marlene, who's weirdly both the mother figure of the cult and also like the um, a, a lover to Jeremiah, apparently, which is. Fucking creepy as shit. Yeah. Um, she was most recently playing the lone survivor of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the terrible Netflix Chainsaw Ma- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. And then she was in The Northman, and she was in a ser- series called The Survivalist. I do believe she's Australian, I want to say. Well, she's a very interesting look. She has really beautiful gray, like, white Hair. She reminds me of like my, my my old boss who I absolutely adored. Like it's like oh yeah yeah. So like my old boss was like very much a motherly figure. So she wasn't evil at all. She was a wonderful woman. But as soon as I no her, I yeah, was like, I was like yeah, it reminds me of Dot. So yeah, oh yeah, that's good. And then we also have, uh, when this guy came on the screen, my Scott went, oh, it's that guy. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it's that guy who is Richard Brake. Yeah. Who plays the chemist, who's the drug supplier of the children and the Black Skulls. We'll get to the Black Skulls in a second. And he's also the Night King. He is. Two episodes of Game of Thrones, because they did switch up Night Kings on us. But, uh, so seasons four, Oak Keeper, but one of my favorite Game of Thrones episodes, seasons five's Hard Home. Yes. Which is the Come At Me Crow. He's also in the most recent Kingsmen, The Secret Service. Uh, and he's been in a couple of Rob Zombie movies. Halloween 2 was his first Rob Zombie movie, and he was also in the new Munsters movie. Okay. And then he also was the creepy rapist in Barbarian. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so he was daddy. Daddy in part to the second half of the movie, because as we know, Barbarian is two very different movies from the first to second half. Yes, which I was like, yep. It's kind of like Mandy. It must be a thing he likes to do. Yeah. Another, like, movie aficionado that we have is Bill Duke's Carruthers, who is yeah. Red's longtime friend and confidant. He just has a very short scene, but a very nice scene. Yeah, and he's kind of like, that's what I was reading. I was like, he's one of those faces you recognize instantly, and on Wikipedia, it's like he's known for being very tall and imposing looking yeah he was in predator and commando and exit wounds yeah and uh he played trask in x-men the last stand but interesting enough he uh also was an american gigolo in sister act 2 back in the habit and he directed the crime films deep cover and a rage in harlem and i think a rage in harlem may have been nominated for something at cons cool yeah i just forgot to write it down i'm sorry that's guys. fun yeah which this movie also went to con and oh, got a standing nice. ovation. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Do you think his last name Carruthers was like, because Scatman Carruthers played What's His Face in The Shining and it was like a nod to that? Oh, that'd be kind of cool. I don't know for sure, but that would make sense. I think that could be a cool Easter egg. Because he survived, spoiler alert, guys, but The Shining came out in 1980. He dies in the movie, lives in the book. Yeah. So... And Dick Holleran. Dick! Because somebody made a joke about a, a man named Dick talking to a small child. Yeah. And I was like... I love that character. And when I saw The Shining... him. I was a small child when I saw The Shining. I was watching it with my mom. And the movie terrified me. But that was the part that, like, literally I screamed. Oh, yeah. It's not so okay. Upset. It's not okay. Also... That poster above his bed. I was like, people have naked pictures above their bed? <laughs> 
I was like, I didn't know people could do that. Oh yeah. my goodness, scandalous. I don't besmirch him. Yeah. He's in Miami. Wasn't he in Miami? He's in the beach or something. I think you're right. I think he may have been. And then last but not least, so this movie was filmed in Belgium, and so this is, seems to be one of the only, one of the Belgian actors who uh, was in this movie, Line Pilette, maybe it's Linné, I don't know, who plays Sister Lucy, who's like a very young, semi-innocent member of the cult. Yeah. Seems like she doesn't really do anything guilty, but she is like a sexual servant. I to Jeremiah. I couldn't figure out because the the actress is very petite, but I don't know if it's just the style of clothes they dressed her in, but they had her in those, like, loose, flowy dresses, and yeah. I couldn't tell if she was supposed to be pregnant or not. There was, like, one scene where I was like, is she pregnant? Yeah. But then, like, I, yeah, I couldn't tell it's either. It's the flowy dresses. Yeah. So it was an empire waist, too, which yeah. maybe she was, and they were just trying to hide it, or maybe they were just, like... I didn't know if, like, the character was supposed to be pregnant, and that, and that, because as we get into spoilers, that's another reason that I'm like, well, maybe... Maybe he's trying to impregnate people. Well, also, maybe it's the reason that Red spares her. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but she's been in a lot of Belgian things called, like, one's Thermist, Little Black Spiders, 13 Geboden, and Ritual. Ritual. So, but she's kind of like the, she was kind of the odd one, because I was like, what? Where? It didn't have her birth place or like where she was from but like every movie that i went to look was like filmed in belgium and i was like okay she must be belgian or at least european so i guess with that we should start with the rundown so we can get into true spoilers yeah in the pacific northwest of 1983 mandy and red live in an idyllic life in their little cabin on crystal lake wink wink but when the leader of a manson-esque cult decides mandy belongs to him Abject horror catapults the two lovers into a world of demon bikers, chainsaw duels, and the ultimate revenge. Yeah. Mandy is now playing on Shudder and Tubi. Please check it out. And now we're getting into spoilers. Yeah. So you you had it spoiled for you what happens to Mandy. I didn't know that she was burned to death. I knew she died. Because I know that's what catapulted the second act of the film. And, uh... I did read where, you know, they had asked Thanos, they were just like, was there any type of world where Mandy survived? And he said no. Like, in every version of the script he wrote, Mandy was always destined to die. Because it's almost like a Greek tra- tragedy. Yeah. And he compares uh, Red to almost like a demigod of wrath in the second act hmm. of the film. So. I can see that. He kind of becomes bigger than himself. Yeah. And very much like a personification of revenge. I will say, this movie... He's in my top three revenge movies. Okay. Old Boy's number one. Yeah. I would say Old Boy and Kill Bill. Ooh, I wasn't even thinking about Kill Bill as a revenge movie. Okay. Well, then I got four. Yeah. Because I was going to say this one, Old Boy and Promising Young Woman. Oh, Promising Young Women. Oof. Yeah. But Kill Bill is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I've watched it so many times that I don't. Okay, so top five. I don't know if I have a fifth. Yeah. 
What's the other revenge movie that's really good? I'm trying to think. I know somewhere out there someone's like, Lady Snowblood! Because that's what I haven't gone to watch Lady Snowblood (laughs) or or Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance or Lady Vengeance, which is what I want to watch. Which are the other old boy vengeance I think it's arguable, too, that uh, Shogun Assassin's also revenge. Which I still haven't gotten to watch Shogun Assassin's. I love Shogun Assassin, too. Uh, So so, maybe I don't have a fifth one. Yeah, but you know what? I actually did myself a disservice and I rewatched the a promising young woman seeing the ending scene oh. and more specifically she was Nina and I was like oh god she's so good she's so good that in movie. that movie I love the ending sequence with um, Angel of the Morning yeah so perfectly timed it is it's Just like that's great yes it's fantastic but this movie is before I saw promising young woman I was like Man, this is like next to old boy. Like, I'm not really sure if there's been a better revenge film. And I mean, 2003, which we are going to try to cover if it comes. It's supposed to be released on August 16th because this will come out August 2nd, I think. So look out for your local theaters. We're trying to figure out if it's actually going to come to us or not, which will determine if we do it when we do it. So, yeah, stand by. And also, we might have a special guest join us. Yay! So, yeah. But stand by if we can actually find it playing somewhere near us. Um, Yeah, just definitely one of my favorite revenge films. I think it's one of the most beautiful revenge films I've seen next to Old Boy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Promising Young Woman and Kill Bill are also very beautiful. They are. I mean, yeah. That, when Kill- the Oren- snow with Oran Ishii and the yeah. blood and the... Ugh. Okay, anyway, sorry. It's just a really good movie. But this one visually is is so different. It's, it's just so, so psychedelic. Yes. Yeah. Which I've never done psychedelics, to be fair. Like, sadly, I was a very boring child. I am, too. I mean, yeah. we have a brother who's, like, hardcore metal kid. Like, I was definitely the straight-edge emo kid. <laughs> so, like... I didn't either, but I have a lot of friends who told me. I know. I was like, I was like, yeah, just, just, yeah, yeah. But I mean, sometimes movies are about as close to what I'm gonna get. Sometimes it's a good thing, but this is very psychedelic. Yes, and it is very high fantasy. One thing you learn about Mandy is she's a bookworm. She loves drawing and she loves sci-fi fiction. So, like the first thing she talks about with Red is about how she's like reading this sci-fi book. But she says Lenora Tor, which is probably there's another Lenora, um, and I can't remember the last name. It starts with a C. Sci-fi author who it's probably based on, but they just don't want to use her real name. And um, she's reading that, and you know, it's like there's like two different moons, and like that's really like she's like under the crimson primordial sky. It's a very cool little excerpt, and um, a lot of the visuals I think are influenced by that because she's like sketching it and it's very cool and colorful and stuff like that my favorite one of my favorite scenes is a very trippy scene where jeremiah sand is the leader of this children of the new dawn cult he's a little man baby boy and he's like he sees mandy walking down the street and then she does the thing that every time i watch this movie i'm like why did you say where you live because yeah. the the older mother Marlene is like, oh, do you live around here? She goes to the gas station to try to get some info, and she's like, oh yeah, we live by Crystal Lake, which I love the nod to Friday the Thirteenth, but I'm also like, why would you tell anyone 
anywhere where you live. I only tell people the city I live in. I don't say near this, near that, because you never know when anyone's a crazy person. But you know, that's the thing. It's like she's an elderly woman. There's that sense of like motherly, like you. And it's 1983, but she also lives in the middle of nowhere. I don't know. I almost I lived in the middle of nowhere temporarily, and I hated it. It was terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying for me. I hated it. I am not built for that life because. If something bad happens, you are so far away from everybody and you are so isolated. And also, like, people can just, like, sneak up on you. Like, it's terrifying to me. But anyways, maybe I'm paranoid. I don't know. But she tells the lady, she very innocently is just like, oh, we live by Crystal Lake. And so they show up at their house. and But first, they get the Black Skulls to help them. Yeah. Which is, uh, I love their costumes. They're like these demon motorcycle gang, and they have like all these spikes all over their leather. I saw the behind the scenes, and the making was super interesting. That was the thing that kind of confused me initially, because I'm like, okay, they're demons, because he literally summons and like, and sacrifices someone. But apparently they only are demons because they took the wrong batch of acid. Yeah. Which reminded me, and this is going to be a terrible impersonation, forgive me, of the lady in the Leprechaun video from Mobile, where she's oh, like, yeah. seems like a crackhead got got hold of the wrong stuff. <laughs> Sorry, that's a really bad impersonation yeah. of her. Only in Alabama. Only in Alabama. Yes. But I was like, oh, so they're the crackheads who got hold of the wrong stuff. But, I mean, it's just really interesting because it's like, they're demons with some of them, but they're demons on crack. Also... Like- Daughter of a geologist bothered the fuck out of me that their ocarina that they use to summon them is called the Horn of Abraxas. Yeah, there's a lot of really, like, like, And it's it's an igneous rock. And I was like, an igneous rock is porous because it's volcanic lava that hardens and there's air holes in it. So it's like, that would be the worst thing. It's almost like you have, have a an family member that's of. a geologist or something. Yeah. 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 I was like, I, the, immediately when I see it, I was like, that's an igneous rock. I hope you're listening, Dad, because I remember. And I was like, that's an igneous rock. I don't think that would make a very good ocarina. But hey, let's test it out, Dad. Yeah. Next time we're in your rock cabinet, we will. Yes, he has a rock cabinet. A rock cabinet. He has a rock cat. Rock cabinet. No, 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 no. Rock cabinet. Yeah. If you don't get that, there's no hope for you. We can't be friends. Rock lobster. So, anyways, so they summon the demon bikers and they help them grab Mandy and Red and they tie Red up with barbed wire, which looks super painful on his mouth. And (laughs) they drug Mandy with, it seems like acid and a stinger of a giant bug, which that completely baffled me the first time. So I was like, what the fuck is happening? So they drug her, and so she's tripping balls. And they set her down, and Jeremiah is like, I'm the savior. Everything belongs to me. You were calling to me silently when I passed you on the on the road. So obviously, now you must accept me. And then he turns on his failed psychedelic folk music. And it's like, it's like Listening to a medieval folk song, it's like do 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 do. His name was Jeremiah Sand, and it's yeah. so and it's about him, and it's stupid. Actually, they released the real song, and then like a seventy-minute interview. Right? Yes, the song Starless. Oh wait, no, that's the opening song yeah. by King Crimson. So also, King King Crimson does the opening song from the album from Red. the album Yeah Red, which is Nick yeah. Cage's name, but. Let's see. I uh, do, 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 do. 
Oh, this song, this is from IMDb. The song Jeremiah Sand plays in the scene where he tries to seduce Mandy is called Amulet of the Weeping Maze and was actually released in real life on the music site Bandcamp, becoming a quote-unquote bestseller on the site shortly after the film came out. Also on the single is a 17-minute track in the style of an interview called My Journey, which details Sand's life and views on the world and God, which I wish I'd seen that earlier than today because I would have looked it up but i don't know if it's still available but i would highly recommend if it is yeah but yeah so he's like oh come here like here i am i am so cool and then mandy's like this is your songs about you and he's like yes and then he just like is like everyone's there by the way in the room they're all like lounging about and he just takes off his fucking robe also this is a scene where like they're like editing his face and mandy's face together alternating instead of like changing camera angles they just edit her face into his face and back and forth which is very cool effect it's very cool editing but then he takes off his robe and got a teeny tiny dick he didn't even get hard for it yeah which i was like i'm sorry i if you're gonna try to impress somebody with your penis maybe get it you know presentation ready yeah fluff it a little bit learn from porn you know, educate yourself. And in my in my head, I'm like, maybe he's a grower, not a shark. He might be, and that's fine. Yeah. That that's fine. However, but it also makes more sense in the very context funny. of the movie too, like because he has small yeah. dick energy. Yeah, he exudes small dick energy. Not saying it's how you it's how you use it, not how big it is. I'm yeah. not saying that. I'm just saying. That this man has small dick energy if there ever was it. And he got teeny tiny pee pee. It's not even that tiny, but it's just like, it's not, it's not a show. It's a grower, not a yeah. shower. And she, the combination of the, the weird song playing, tripping balls, and him just like opening his robe, expecting her to be like, oh my God, you're beautiful. You're one, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're Linda and Evangelista. You look like a model. That's a RuPaul quote. Anyways. And he's just like, what? And then she just starts cackling. Yeah. It's awesome. It's fucking awesome. Because she's just, like, laughing at his small penis. And I'm not saying the actor is a small penis. I don't even know if that was his real penis. I know he really did the nudity. So I assume it was his real penis. Yeah. But also, like, there is a weird thing in American cinema where they will, like, give you an NC-17 rating if there's an erect penis. Yeah, that's true, too. But they're, like, but flaccid penises they're fine with. Meanwhile, people, like, women can be, you know, female people can be topless and running around and all this stuff. But if you touch someone's, you know, clit, they're like, oh, NC-17. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird thing in American rating because I'm like, I mean... It's already an R-rated movie. There's not going to be children that should be watching this movie. Like, what? if he's turned on, wouldn't he be a little bit hard? Yeah. But as a fellow actor, it would be really weird to get hard in front of your castmates unless you're doing an adult film. Yeah. So I don't know. I... This is just, but anyways, it's funny in the context of the movie, and that's why he did it, because he, that's why he did the news. He's like, I think it's, it makes sense in the movie, and he's that fragile ego. So, she starts laughing at him, and like, because she's tripping balls, and the editing is, you know, amplifying that, she, it's getting real trippy, and then he tries to like, he tries to grow it. It doesn't work. Yeah. That was pretty funny. He said, he's told Panos, apparently, he was like, I'll do the nudity. I'm not sure about the masturbation part, but I will do the nudity, which is why I think we don't see him actually yeah. touching himself because that, that, eh, 
that's getting a little pornographic, you yeah. know, for a general audience especially. We survived uh, Stranger, by, Stranger the by the Lake. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, nothing phases me anymore. Yeah. I'm ready for anything. And, and um, what? Irre- irreversible. irreversible. yeah. Different, right. different versions of sex on yeah. camera, but a lot. That was a fake dick, though. Yeah, that's true. So, anyways... So he tries to grow it, doesn't work, and she just keeps laughing. And so he puts his rub back, and he's like, "Stop laughing at me!" Ah, it's like it's like the the nightmare where you show up at school in your underwear. Yeah, but it's happening for real for him. And so goes a complete one eighty and decides, "Oh, gotta burn Mandy." Yeah, because because somebody doesn't want to fuck you, she's quote unquote in his words a whore. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not actually how that works. Because the sex workers get paid yeah. to have sex with people. So actually that would make her not a sex worker. Right. So not that there's any shame in sex work. I'm just saying, like, technically, you are incorrect, sir. Um, and they burn her in front of Red. And it's really sad. You see Mandy die. But she's in a bag, so you don't have to really see it. And it's really sad, but it leads to my second favorite sequence because you see Red, he finally gets out of his bindings after they leave him. They stab him, leave him for dead, and he uh, mourns Mandy. And, like, it's really, like, it's a little unrealistic because you have to get a human body very hot to destroy evidence. And I know that because I watch too much true crime. Yeah. But in an artistic way, her ashes are, like, still in the shape of her face. And then, like... It kind of blows away in the wind, which Scott pointed out. This would be a really good way to use the song "Blowing in the Wind" by Kansas, and I was oh, like, "Dust in the wind, dust in the wind." Yeah, what? You, oh, the yeah. answer, my friend, is "Blowing in the wind." Yeah. Is, is fuck. Yeah, D- duh. I forgot. I always think of Doctor Doolittle. Bob Dylan. Yeah, that's the answer, great. my friend. But he meant dust he meant in "Dust in the, the Wind." Wind. Yes, I was like, yeah. that is a missed opportunity. But yeah, it leads to the Cheddar Goblin. Yeah. Which the Shatter Goblin is... Why did I think someone from P.G. Gorman was connected to it? Or maybe it just came up when we were talking well, about P.G. The, Gorman? Also, they do see the Cheddar Goblin TV commercial. So... Because it's like the TV yes. commercial is like a goblin eating like a mac and cheese. Yes. And is it goblin. in P.G. Psycho Gorman? I don't think why so. Why did I think they were connected? But I don't think they are. But yeah. for some reason, I connected the two in my head. But Cheddar Goblin, I just have to read this article because... This is a fun little trivia. So, uh, uh, the person behind Cheddar Goblin is called um, Shane Morton. Mm -hmm. And Shane Morton, this is from Inverse.com, Cheddar Goblin, the unbelievable true story behind Mandy's breakout moment by Jake Kleinman from September 22nd of 2018. Inverse spoke to practical effects expert Shane Morton, who helped create Smarf the Cat and Too Many Cooks. If you haven't seen Too Many Cooks on YouTube... Just watch it. It's just like, it's literally, it's it's like a sitcom opener, mm-hmm. but it's like, too many cooks! And then it just keeps introducing new characters. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. And it's, it's trippy as hell by the end of it. Yeah, it, it goes fucking off, off the rails. Um, it's very, like, old Adult Swim. Yeah. like And I yeah. think it was on Adult Swim originally. I think it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, Tim and Eric. 
Oh, yeah, Tim yeah. and Eric, awesome. Good job, awesome show. Good job, whatever the fuck its name is. About the insane process that went into making the Cheddar Goblin reality, it was a crazy shoot, Morton recalls, 20 gallons of mac and cheese mixed with pineapple fago oh. and lemon jello. So it really kind of smelled like vomit. Those kids had to get puked on for like six hours straight. Morton didn't know what he was signing up for initially. Casper Kelly, the creator of Too Many Cooks, approached him on the set of Adult Swim's show, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Henry from Last Podcast is on that show, which is why I've heard of it. Uh, With an interesting proposal, Casper was like, I know this was insane and crazy, but what do you think about shooting a crazy TV commercial with a monster puppet for the guy who did Beyond the Black Rainbow? And that's how they ended up doing it. Nice. So he has a mental break. Red does. He watches Cheddar Goblin, has a mental break, goes in the bathroom, drinks a bottle of vodka. And in a scene that I didn't understand how to take the first time I saw, goes full cage rage, but also, like, just starts crying. Yeah. It's an interesting and understandable range of emotions. This is actually very, very real to a loss that I felt because yeah. it was like, it took me a while. That evening I did hysterically hysterically cried while my husband had to hold me and then I just passed out like I yeah I it was just like such a, and that's what he does in the movie too it's just like he passes the fuck out yeah. from it and I think that's like a very very real reaction it's like your body's so exhausted it shuts itself down yeah it's almost like because it's itself. so mentally and emotionally draining to grieve yeah especially a new grief. Yeah. And you just don't know how to process it. And sometimes that's like a, like a lot of people with grief, like they do end up like sleeping a lot. I feel like because you just kind of have to shut your brain off and so you can give it a break. It's either you sleep a lot or the exact opposite. You can't sleep. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, um, I thought it was an interesting touch that they put like a vodka bottle in the bathroom. Yeah. And I don't know if it was like a, well, we can't figure out how to do the blocking to make it work. But to me, I was like, it, it seemed like maybe he had 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 an addiction issue. Maybe he had not a great relationship with alcohol. And that was like his stash that he didn't really touch. Because why else would it be in the bathroom? Yeah, exactly. And that's me. I don't know. I don't know. But like, I've had friends who have been addicts, especially like alcoholics. And they were like, yeah, I would stash it in like a weird spot so people wouldn't see it yeah you know and or maybe it's this thing where like it's my emergency stash so that to me like was like oh i've just given up i've lost mandy and i've given up and it's like like the worst part of losing someone the first time i watched the movie i was like why didn't he call the cops the second time i still was like oh maybe they're too far away and then the third time i'd seen the deleted scene with the sheriff i was like oh the cops can't be trusted in this town yeah they don't fucking care. Okay, that makes more sense now. He forges a steel axe after he has a nightmare about a cartoon Mandy's face melting. Yeah. And he forges an axe, gets his crossbow from his arm Carruthers, and then kills a bunch of the biker gang. The best kill is the guy that has the blade dick. Yeah, I thought that too. Yeah, and he just gets stuck. <laughs> yeah. With his blade dick into the floor, and then he can just stab him to death. It's great. But, of course, he, like, tries their crazy drugs and immediately trips and has a hallucination. Um, it's a cool hallucination. It yeah. looks really cool. That's, like, again, I'm, I haven't done hallucinogens, so I can't be 100% sure, but it's what I imagine tripping balls seems like. Get back to us. If y'all have tripped some balls, let us know. Is this movie accurate or is it not? 
Um, we're not suggesting you go trip balls, especially if it is illegal in your state. Personally, pretty much everything's illegal in our state now, so. Yeah, that's true. We don't really get that freedom to trip fucking balls. That's true. Even if we did it responsibly as adults. But, uh, I really like that part. And then he gets to go see the chemist, who's, uh, the Night King. Yeah, who's the Night King. And Lizzie. Lizzie the Tiger. Did you know Lizzie was originally a, a lizard? lizard? Yeah, which <laughs> makes sense, because Lizzie the Lizard makes sense. But yeah. Tiger. I don't, I mean, it was, was that a real tiger? I could never yes. get, it was a real tiger. In the behind the scenes, they had a, they had a tiger tamer. She's beautiful. She is beautiful. I, I think she was a Bengal, I'm not sure. Yeah. But she was very beautiful, but her real name is something very exotic that I can't remember. I didn't write it down. It started with a C. But he ends up setting the tiger free. I'm like, what happened to the tiger? Where did the tiger go? And I was like, in another movie, they probably would have brought her back, but I feel like they didn't have the budget to bring her back and, like, choreograph that. Because she was literally, like, they taped her, like, in a cage. And I love like papaya, so automatically me and Taylor are like, Richard Parker! You know? And the chemist... It's a weird moment. He's, he's, like, just very like, sympathetic. He is her. very sympathetic. But he's also... I remember we were watching it and Scott was like, he didn't kill him. And I was like, well, he's just their supplier. It's not like he has a hand in it. He's like, yeah, I guess that's and he true. he doesn't work with, like, the children of the New Dawn. He just works with the bikers. So I guess yeah. he couldn't foresee the children of New Dawn using the bikers, maybe? Yeah, I guess the bikers are the people who get the stuff for the children. So yeah. maybe oh. maybe that's why he doesn't really I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe he just was like There's also like a really trippy moment where like the floor is made out of centipedes and they did have some centipedes in the behind the scenes and I was like no, too many legs. Too yeah. many legs for me. Yeah, he doesn't kill the chemist and he doesn't kill but the chemist tells him where they live, so he doesn't kill what's her face. Uh, Sister Lucy. Yeah. Well, he does kill Brother Swan. He does, yeah. In a really good way. Knife knife in the mouth. Yeah, it's the it's the side of the axe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just, side of the axe. That right. Yeah, because, like, one side is, like, a knife, and the other side is, like, an axe. And, by the way, that was inspired by a specific heavy metal band's cover art. Celtic's Frost's logo, specifically the letter F. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so it does look like a heavy metal thing. Um, and he, he, you know, stabs him through. And then he goes to this quarry where there are little churches and there's a chainsaw fight, which is really funny because Nick Cage has a regular chainsaw and then the other guy brings out a chainsaw and it's obviously very phallic. Yeah. And it's like three times as long and it's very funny. And I was just like, <laughs> there's a lot of humor throughout this movie. Yeah. That's just like dark humor that just kind of like lightens the mood a little bit. It kills everybody there. Gets to their little, like, church thing. It's, like, one of those, like, A-frame wooden churches. And then, like, the mother lady is, like, I'm the most sensual lava. She reminded me of, like, the people in the hot tub from SNL who were, like, my lava. It was Molly Shannon and Will Ferrell. Remember them? They were, like, professors. Reminded me of that. She's, like, I'm the most sensual lava. And you don't really see what happens until you see him just... Toss in her decapitated head into 
Jeremiah's little prayer room. Yeah. And they're, like, in tunnels, too. And, like, it's great because, like, he is, like, about to smush Jeremiah's head. He's like, I'll suck your dick, man. And supposedly that came dick. from a short story, like, called Killing Nazis or something. Did you oh, sit down the no. trivia? That's awesome. Yeah. So, like, that, well, I guess, like, there's the Nazis a, were going to suck people's dicks? I think, like, that's, what? I, I didn't get to read the short story. Now I'm curious. But, yeah, that's what they implied that the line may be from that short story. I think that's oh. what it was called. Yeah, because it does, like, you see, it's, okay, it almost reminds me of a certain character at the end of Midnight Mass. Not that she says that, but just, like, the complete, like, switcheroo, like, from the overly confident to the absolutely terrified, like, an animal in a cage. Like, I'll do anything to survive at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and I love those kinds of twists because he's, like, so confident, but when, like, but he can't fight his own battles, and then he's like, God gifted me, and then he gets angry, and then Red just goes, I'm your god now, and does a does a little mountain. Yeah. From Game of Thrones, just... Yeah. Although I will say, I do think the mountain's head squish on Pe- Pedro Pascal's head was on Oberon Martell. Yeah. Little more impressive, because it was element of surprise. And then when he drives away... So there's, there's a point where one of the bikers rips his shirt. And it's his shirt, and it has, like, the number 44. It's like a yes. baseball team. And he has this really great moment where he goes, You ripped my shirt! And, of course, this in Nick Cage, shirt. he sees everything as music in a movie. And so he was like, so when I scream that, it's like a music. It's like a piece of music. So I'm not, like, saying it. I'm, you know, it's a music. I was like, okay, I can see that. All yes. right. All right, Nick. But yeah, it's one of the. F- it's kind of a funny line because he's like kicking ass. He's like, "You ripped my shirt." Yeah. But when you get to the end and he's driving away, he burns down their church. He's driving away and he's looking. He's in the car and he imagines that Mandy is in the car with him. And he does a very funny like smile. Taylor even was like, "What the hell?" Yeah, it's very funny because it's like he does like this look. And, and it's funny because we watched it on Tubi, and that's actually the screenshot for the movie yeah. is that look. Now I'm like, Richard Brake, the chemist, is a screenshot for on Amazon Prime. I was like, what? I yeah. mean, I like him, but I was like, he's like a very small part in this movie. But Yeah, okay. you're just like, well, okay. Right. But he's remembering when he first met Mandy, like in a bar, and he's wearing that shirt. Yes. And you're like, that. And she was wearing it the night they get kidnapped, and they take that shirt off of her yeah. to kill her. And he finds it when he comes back in the house. And I thought that was a really nice moment that, like, it's his favorite shirt. He, it's the first thing he's wearing when you see him. And then, like, the next time you see it, Mandy's wearing it to bed. Yeah. And then they take it off of her to kill her. And then he puts it back on. And then wears it throughout the end, and then you find out, like, that was the shirt he was wearing when they met. Which is well, Which is why it's his favorite shirt. Yeah, the movie ends, like, on a very, very bittersweet note. But yeah. it's, it's really weird, because it's like, even though he, he did what he set out to do, I didn't really feel, like, complete at the end of the movie. Do you think he's dead? You know, I wonder. That's the thing that it's like, you don't really know what happens. He got stabbed pretty badly. Yeah. And I'm kind of surprised he... But I feel like they probably would have just shown us him Yeah, dying. like being reunited with her or yeah. something, if that was the Which case. Which maybe that's why he sees her next to him. Maybe yeah. he's driving, because then the the background morphs into, like, a, fan, a yeah. sci-fi fantasy. 
And that's the thing is, like, she paints and stuff, so it looks like one of her paintings. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, because, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't know. Like, I kind of think, like, maybe he's supposed to be dead at the end, because the director said, like, this was, if Beyond the Black Rainbow was his grief over his parents' death, this was, like, his acceptance of of their death. Yeah. And his acceptance of that grief. So, and it is kind of cathartic, because he exacts revenge on the people who took Mandy from him, but you know, I also like sorry, I'm going all over the place. I also like that Mandy, even though it's a, the you know, the man in the relationship, it's a very like heteronormative relationship and she doesn't take the revenge part. Things are done to her. She's not passive. She laughs. Yeah. She takes participation I can only imagine that she fights. She tells a very sad story about these starlings that her dad kills. Which, as yeah. soon as I rewatched, I was like, I should have worn brick because I forgot about this part. Yeah, we're like basically, like, yeah, fucking traumatic. It's very traumatic. She tells a story like, and the thing is like, so she tells a story early on about like how her dad was abusive, and there were these starlings that were eating like I think it was like blueberries or, or fruit off their trees, and it was making him really upset. And so he brought a bag of baby starlings and dumped them out of the bag. And then I was like, I'll show you how to kill them and just hit them with a crowbar. Yeah, in front which, of children. In front of children. Which is weird because she's in a bag when she's burned to death. And I was like, oh, it's like the starlings. Oh, God. Ah. Yeah. Um, that part really resonates, too. And then you kind of forget about it because then you see actual human beings get ripped apart. But, yeah, I, I don't think she's a very strong person. And I she doesn't seem like a damsel in distress that needs saving if... It wasn't for the Black Skulls, and it wasn't for the fact that they drugged the shit out of her. I have every hope that she probably could have escaped. Yeah. She and Red. But it was like, they were just outnumbered. Yeah. And, you know, she does seem like a strong person. So I appreciate that she's not a damsel in distress. And he's not exacting revenge because she was this poor, helpless person. It's just, he loved her. And they had a very equal and honest love. Yeah. Which is... Not and in such a short time, you can kind of get that like that's a good good relationship, a healthy relationship because he you know didn't have to be angry anymore. She didn't have to be whatever she was before. I mean, she's like she seems like she's been through a lot of shit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like honestly, like she grew up in an abusive household because she also has a really big scar on her face yeah. under her left eye that. Obviously, something happened to her. You don't get the story behind it, but, like, it's implied that her father was abusive. A lot of people who grew up in abusive families sometimes have abusive romantic relationships because it's hard to break out of that cycle, too. So I don't know if that was part of it as well. She doesn't say that. So, but I imagine they're both, like, I mean, I know Nick Cage is in his 50s, but, like, I'm going to say... They're in their 30s. Yeah, or maybe, like, late 30s, early 40s. Yeah, so they're, like, both adult adults. Yeah. They're not, like, young kids, so I feel like she's probably... They've both had relationships previously. Yeah. So, you know, and and also because the people call her, like, the town whore, which I don't think is fair, and I don't think it's okay to call people that, but I'm, like, obviously, like, she's dated people. Yeah, it definitely is one to remember... I don't know. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. But I'm not sure if Red is dead at the end. I kind of, like, 
I don't know, because usually, like, when I think of, like, someone dying, I think of it, like, being more nihilistic. But it's almost like if he was dead at the end, it would be optimistic because he would be reunited with his love. Because I don't yeah. know if he really has a lot. Maybe that's why lot... he's smiling. Yeah, I don't really know if he has a lot going on. Like, it's not like, like, I mean, yeah, he has Crudders as a friend, but I'm like, does he have anyone other than Crudders and Mandy? Like, because he doesn't really well, show I mean, him bonding with his co-workers or anything at the Yeah, beginning, but so. it might be, like, working at an oil rig because he has to, like, fly in a helicopter to get to his work. So I wonder if it's one of those, like, he's away for a long time and yeah. then he comes back. So when he comes back, like, he doesn't have anything else to do but hang out with Mandy. Yeah. So I don't know. But, yeah, it's sad. It's very sad, but it is very bittersweet. And if you like gore, it's great. The music's also very trippy by Johan Johansson. Yeah, I do like the score a lot. Yeah, who has been nominated for Academy Awards and died in 2018 of a... It was it was a cocaine overdose, but it was cocaine and flu medication mixed together. Which means it was accidental. Yeah, yeah. so it's very tragic and sad. Yeah, as soon as like they, I read he did the, uh, the Theory of Everything uh, score, I was like, oh, the Theory of Everything has a beautiful score. And I, yeah, I've listened... I've, I was like, oh, I know that name. And then I was like, oh, 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 that's sad. Yeah. But it is interesting that the credits don't happen till after the movie's over. Very, very climax. Very, um, what's his face? Gaspar Noé. Thank you, Gaspar. Gaspar. Oh, climax gasping. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Gaspar. Gaspar. Because you don't even see any credits until it goes... At, after he makes the axe and is going off range, it's like, Mandy! Mandy, so like 40 minutes into the movie, yeah. yeah 75 minutes. 75 it's minutes? an hour and 15 minutes. Wow, okay. Into the movie. Wow. Yeah. I, I paused it, because I was like, this is a long And see, time. for a minute, I didn't realize, I was like, I thought it was like, I was like, oh yeah, that's the title of the movie, but I thought it was like the chapter's name, too. Because doesn't... There are chapters, because they yeah. say like at the beginning, the something woods... Mm-hmm. 1983. It's like the majestic woods yeah. or the enchanted woods or something. But yeah, I mean, what did you think about it? I hate to say it. Uh, so this is another one of those movies, and Taylor and me have talked about this. I got very tired during it. Not like because <laughs> it was boring. I think it's almost like Symphy soundtracks and dark colors just kind of like it's almost they like an ASMR to me. They lull you. They really do. So I'm like sitting there, and it's like, you know. Nicholas Cage and her are talking all quietly about what their favorite planets are, and everything's dark and soft, and I'm just like, yeah. fuck. So, like... It's a little mumble, Corey. Yeah, it's like that. my eyes are struggling. At the beginning. Mm-hmm. Once it hits the revenge point, yeah, it's pretty hard to look away. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting, because like we've said, it's, it's two very different movies. Like, mm-hmm. very, very different movies. Um... So, yeah, I don't know. There are some things that I think it's so... So, there's no doubt that it's a beautiful movie. It's very psychedelic. It has gorgeous cinematography. Obviously, has a really cool synth soundtrack. Nicolas Cage is amazing in it. Just balls to the wall fucking crazy. Andrew But also very sweet and soft, too. It's amazing range. The only thing is, sometimes I think it gets a little lost in its own vision. Because there's elements of the story, like we talked about with the demon bikers. I'm like, I don't, I still don't fucking understand it. There's just like things that I had the wrong acid. Yeah, I mean, but like, (laughs) but they're they're demons from hell, but they they got the wrong acid, but they're demons from hell. But I don't think they're actually demons. I think they just. But they have like the black, like you know, like they're like almost like charcoal looking, right? Like their skin and stuff. With they're wearing masks too. They're wearing masks too. 
And they're wearing, like, full body suits. But they summoned them from hell, right? That's why he uses the instrument? Well, they just summoned them. I think it's, like, very retro and trippy. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, a comic book or, like, like the movie Heavy Metal yeah. where it's just, like, reality is distorted and what is real. And also, like, he's grieving and tripping balls when he's imagining all that. So are they really demons, or are they just people that want you to think they're demons? Yeah. Because he's able to kill all of them. He is, but then they also, I mean, that's a very long, like, penis on that one. Like, I don't know. The penis, the, the, the blade the, thing? The, the, the penis blade, yeah. Well, I think it's just a blade that he put on his pants. But that's so interesting. I don't know. Like, it's just, like, a little bit. It's weird that he's watching porn, because you can't really jerk well, off. You also see the dead bodies with, like, the blood around yeah. them, their, their butts and stuff. So you're just like, oh, did he, I guess he assaulted Well, might have been, maybe he was, like, maybe he was, like, the movie Seven. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, he assaulted them to death. Yeah. yeah. So. It's pretty gross. Yeah. I don't know. Not porn, necessarily. But. Yeah. Fucking somebody to death. With a knife. We've had two movies in the last two months. Because, uh. The knife and heart. Oh shit! That's right. That's right. He, I completely he, forgot about that. He had a knife that. penis and he fucked people to death. Oh, that's right. I mean, I didn't forget knives and heart, but I forget that's the opening yeah. scene in the movie. So weird. Didn't realize that was gonna be in common with this. Hmm. Mm. Um. Well, every time I watch this movie, I like it more. That's good. I enjoy. I like introducing people to this movie too. Like if someone hasn't seen Mandy and they like horror. And gore, I'm like, you have to watch Mandy. It's great. Yeah. I think because I saw this before Pig, I was so impressed by Nick Cage's performance. I do think Pig, and Pig is his personal favorite. Yeah. But this one did kind of, in his own words, rehabilitate him. Yeah. Into being, and it makes sense. I didn't know, like, his parents had died and his marriage had ended and all this stuff when he was making all those, like, VOD movies that weren't really his best work. Makes sense. If you're kind of living in a daydream because you're so grief-stricken, then you might not... You're just like, yeah, I'll take this job because I need to pay my bills, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Pay my taxes, whatever. You know, makes sense. Totally makes sense why you would make those choices. But this movie kind of, like, woke him up. And he has been doing movies, like, primarily... He hasn't had to do quite as many to fill in, but he's still been doing a couple of the VOD ones. But primarily, like, well-made movies where he's being used well. Yeah. And he's doing passion products like Dead by Daylight that he wants to do, it seems like. So, like, for me, and he's always an enthusiastic person. He seems like he really supports all the movies. Even if they're not his proudest work, he still is going to promote them and, you know. Yeah. He's very, he's very much a professional yeah, I don't know. It is, it's not short. I think it's, like, just over two hours. Yeah. Not terribly long, but it is a little bit of a slow burn. Yeah. But that's really my only negative is that it might not rope you in at the beginning if you're not willing to sit through it. And there's nothing wrong with not being willing to sit through it. But I think if you like horror and you like visually exciting movies... If you keep watching it, you will be satisfied. Yeah. I would say one of my only hindrances was watching it on Tubi. It is free on Tubi, yes, but Tubi has the weirdest commercials. Like when It takes it, you out of it. When, it. when it decides to cut to commercials. It does have weird timing. Yeah. It did that with, like, The Love Witch, because we had to watch it on Tubi, I think. Yeah. Or Pluto, and it had commercials, and it was just in a weird spot. And I was just like, what is going 
Ah. Yeah. What did you rate it? I did. I hope you're not disappointed in me. I did give it a 7 out of 10. That's my okay. personal. Um, maybe if I rewatched it again, I would like it more. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was an interesting movie. Everything they say about Nick Cage is right spot on. I don't know. I just, um, I didn't fall in love with it the same way that I think okay. you did. I did. Yeah. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, I knew I knew you were going to go high with this one. So. Almost gave it an 8, but I don't have anything bad to say about it. Yeah. And I can't... I, everyone I know who's watched it has enjoyed it. At least, like, yeah. cursory. And it is a movie that just completely envelops you in the world and creates a world that you haven't seen before. And I think that's really cool. It is different. It is very different, and it's not... It's not like anything else I'd ever seen before. It's wholly unique, and I think that's right. What did you rate Grindhouse Girls? I saw I rated it C for crossbows, crack, and cheddar goblins. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I maybe went low, but I had two. I had a C one, chemist, chainsaws, and chortling at small dick energy. Yeah. But I prefer S for scars. Starlings and small dick energy. Yeah, I think the S is pretty good. I like the S. I like yeah. the S too. <laughs> I don't think we get too many S ratings either. No, I mean we've had a few, but the small dick energy. Yeah, was just oh, just, mm, just yeah. Mm, I just I love it. Then we're gonna do the call slash call. So there's a few different movies called Call. This is a 2020 Korean film that's currently is streaming on Netflix. So that is going to be our movie. So not to be confused with any other movies called The Call. This is a 2020 Korean film. There's definitely one on Amazon Prime or Shutter that's called The Call. Yes. It's The Call 2020 um, director's Lee Chung Hwin. I'm excited. It sounds like The Lake House, but murder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On that note... Spade and your pets. Yeah, make sure that you uh, keep them off the hot asphalt. Yeah, be careful. Uh, make sure you're hydrating um, and take care of yourself and take care of everybody and be nice and watch some scary movies and watch The Call. Yeah. And we'll be doing sidetracks next week. Yeah, we will. So get... Uh, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully you guys have seen Barbie or Oppenheimer or Barbieheimer, as in both. So Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. Uh, yeah, which I have seen both movies. I think Katie's working on seeing I'm working on seeing Oppenheimer. Yeah. So I am excited. So go I watch that and listen listen to our episode on Sidetracks as we inevitably talk about both movies and inevitably also talk about it and just like that. But on that note, we do yes. have to go. We do. We love you guys. We always say this. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourselves and each other. We look forward to seeing you next time. Same mm-hmm. spooky talk. Same mm-hmm. spooky channel. Stay, Stay spooky, y'all. Bye.
The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.